How many of you, I'm curious, want to get an idea, how many of you yesterday, like, watched Harry and Megan get married? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, put them down. So quite a few of you. So let's get, even get a bigger idea. I'm hearing some, some already, like this is a beautiful thing of this place. See, in the other school, I couldn't hear you talk back to me. I can hear you talk back to me here because the acoustics are so good. So guys, how many of you watched Harry and Megan get married? You're taking a step out. Come on. All right, thank you. Can we give a hand for these guys owning, owning, owning their masculinity that they admitted that they watched that. Now, uh, I did not get up early, but Lori made sure that I recorded it. And so, you know why I watched it? Like, I heard all this talk about, about this African-American preacher that was just bringing the house down in that cathedral there. And so I was like, dude, I gotta see this, because I was seeing all these memes of these British people. You know, they're very reserved. I was in England a week ago for a conference, very reserved. And so that was the most entertaining thing for me of the whole time. So I did watch all of that. But think about it, we all have things in our lives that are memorable, right? For, for the people of England and those of us who follow that stuff, that would be a memorable moment. That's why you got up so early in the morning to watch it. But we have memorable things in our lives, right? So think about it, those of you who are married, guys, think about the first time that you saw your wife. Do you remember that? Like, I remember that. Like I was a junior in college, it was September, I was going with some of my buddies that I roomed with, we were going to eat for dinner, and I remember seeing this girl who was very tan, remember we were, we were in Florida, walking by and saying to my friends, like my guy friends, because they knew her, I did not, saying, who's that girl? I remember very vividly the first time that I met my spouse. Think about guys the, or ladies the first time that you got married. Think about, not the first time, but hopefully the one time. <laughs> I know that's not everybody, and so I don't want to make light of that. But think about the time when, when you got married. Do you remember that time? As much as you watched Harry and Meghan get married, think about when, guys, the first time that you saw your bride come down the aisle. Or wives, thinking about like all the planning, and then that day finally came, and thinking about that. Like that was a memorable moment, was it not? Or think about it this way. Think about the first time that you held your child in your hands. Like what a memorable moment. Or maybe some of you just graduated from college. What a memorable moment. Like no more tests, no more studying, no more finals, no more midterms. Like we all have memorable moments in our lives. And so the title of this uh, our time in God's word this morning is simply this, a moment to remember. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to look at just verses 10 through 16, because here's what I want you to understand this morning. I believe today, May 20th, 2018, is a memorable moment in the life of this church. I believe that. And we've been walking through the book of James uh, over the past few weeks, but we're taking a break because I just want us to just relish in the reality that this is a memorable moment in the life of our church. 
I've been praying that way, our elders have been praying that way, that we would look back on this time and it would be a watershed moment for the life of this church, that it would be a watershed moment, a memorable moment for you today. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, let me give you some context of what's going on here because we're jumping in the middle of verses. And if you're new with us, we walk through passages of scripture. That's how we teach. We teach, there's a word for that expositionally, but in this passage of scripture, what we find ourselves as we jump right in is David is in front of all the assembly of Israel. And David has given a charge to Israel that they are to contribute so that they can build a temple. And so everyone has brought their offerings to this place in Jerusalem so that this temple can be built. And David is now standing in front of this massive crowd of people And he's reminding them that this is a memorable moment. He's reminding them that this is a time that they need to remember for the rest of their lives and how it's going to affect generations to come. And we've come into this building today. The majority of us have come into this building today, if you call this place your home, and you've come into it today, and you have an envelope with you, and you've come, and, and, and you're going to sacrificially give, and it's probably the biggest thing that you've done ever in your life up to this moment, and there might be a little bit of fear, and there might this week have been a little bit of rationalization, well, should we give that much, or whatever it is, but I want us to understand that just like David is standing in front of the assembly saying, this is what we have the privilege to do, this is a memorable moment that I want us to understand that today is a memorable moment for your life and the life of this church. And I just want to, in this passage of scripture, very quickly give you three factors that ought to fuel your generosity as we think about what God desires to do in this place. Here's the first one. Here's the first factor. And David reminds himself of this as he is motivated to be generous in his own life. And he's calling the people to be generous in their life. Number one, here's the first factor, that we need to remember God's greatness. That God is great. Look at what it says in verse 10 and 11. It says, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. There's so much in this passage of scripture that David refers to to remind himself that, man, what fuels his generosity is understanding God's greatness. And he refers to in this passage of scripture in just these two verses that, God, you're transcendent. That you're forever and ever. That means you existed before my problems that I'm experiencing today, and you're going to exist after they're over. That you are transcendent, that you're over them, that you're not defined by what I'm going through right now, whatever it may be, the ups or the downs, that you're transcendent. Notice also he refers to the reality that God is powerful. I wonder this morning how many of you are feeling weak, insufficient, like whatever you're facing that you don't have the strength in and of yourself to do it. And here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand. I'm glad you're there. Because it's in those moments that we remind ourselves that God is great and that I am not. 
And David refers to God. Here's why I know that you're great because you're transcendent, you're powerful. Here's another thing that he says in this passage of scripture in the two verses, look at it. He says, you're glorious. He refers to God's glory and his majesty that God all around me so often I take it for granted. God, you're glorious. And then he says that God is victorious. He says, yours is the victory, O Lord. That we serve a God today who has never lost and he never will. And whatever you're going through today, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever fear, whatever it is, that God is victorious over that. And if you're a child of God this morning and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are also victorious. That's what David reminds himself of as they're in this memorable moment that will affect generations to come. He says, God, I'm standing before these people today and we're about to do something that is, that is sacrificial and is gonna stretch our generosity, but we're gonna remind ourselves that you are great. That's what God is this morning. Here's the second thing. David also reminds himself, and this is the second factor that ought to fuel your generosity today, and as you move forward in your walk with the Lord, not only God's greatness, but God's generosity. Like we're thinking a lot about like, how does God want me to be generous? You've been praying over, how does God want me to be generous? But we need to remind ourselves of God's generosity. Look at it in verse 12, how David refers to it. He says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all in your hand. Doesn't say my hand doesn't say your hand in the sense that it's yours, but your hand in reference to God. God, in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Can we just acknowledge this this morning, that God is the source of everything that you have? Can we just acknowledge that? Can we just acknowledge, no matter if you think it's great or if you think it's small, God is the source of everything that you have. And listen to me, any good that you have in your life and any good that I have in my life is a result from God. It is a picture of God's generosity. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. So guys, just look if you're married this morning, or if you got a girlfriend this morning, guys, just look at her right now. Just go ahead, look at her. And as you look at her, can I share a fact? Keep looking at her, I know it gets awkward. Hopefully you've looked at least a few times gazing into your wife's eyes in the past three weeks. Just keep looking at her, and let me say this. Guys, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. You didn't woo her in like, oh man, I had so much game. Like, that's my wife, my, my wife is married to me right now. No, you didn't. You didn't do that. Like, you ought to, by looking in your wife's eyes, that ought to be one of the main things that stresses to you if you've forgotten this morning that God is a generous God. Like, I've had the privilege to assess church planters and what that means, guys who want to, guys and wives who want to start churches and what that means, assess is to kind of go through the ropes to see if, if they're entrepreneurial in nature and self-starters and, and they have what it takes and they're gifted in such a way to start a church. And you know, one of the main criteria in my mind, and I've never seen it on any like assessment, like documents, you know what I think? Did he marry up? That's one of my criteria. Did the guy marry up? Because if he married up, 
then that tells me that he knows how to cast a compelling vision to someone better than himself to go on a long journey with him. Right? Every dude ought to be saying amen. Guys? All right. God's a generous God. And David reminds himself of that. God, riches and honor are from you. Power and might are from you. Any good thing that I have in my life, God, it's not because of me. My time, my talents, my treasure, my kids, my wife, my job, whatever it is, my portfolio, whatever it is, what I'm going to give to you this morning, God, it's all yours and it's at your hand. God, you're a generous God. God, you provided me with salvation. Titus 3 says that it's not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but he's poured out on us his mercy richly through the Holy Spirit. God's a generous God. Here's the third thing. Not just God's goodness or God's greatness and God's generosity are factors that ought to fuel our generosity. And David refers to them as he stands before all of these people. But he also mentions God's goodness. Look at what it says in verses 14 through 16. I love this. This is like my favorite part of this passage of scripture. David is standing here and look at what he says. But who am I? God, who am I? Rhetorical question that the answer is nothing. You ought to say to yourself, God, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you? And of your own we have given, and of your own have we given you, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days are the earth and are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What he's saying is, is God, well, we've just had the opportunity to give back to you through the, through the resources that you have entrusted us. God, we gotta remind ourselves that none of it's ours anyway. God, you're good, you're great. You're generous. You ever hear this phrase? I remember when I interned in Pensacola, Florida at this church, they used to say this phrase all the time. And, and uh, I refer to the panhandle as, the, as like lower Alabama, so it's for sure the south. So I'm gonna see if this is a southern thing. This was a phrase that they used to say all the time in their services. God is good all the time and God is good. Must be a southern thing. But I love it. Because it was a reminder that God is good, say it with me, all the time. Not some of the time. His goodness isn't dependent on my circumstances. No, no, no. God is good all the time. And David understood this because David was an extremely self-aware person. He understood, God, I'm nothing, and you're everything. God, I'm completely self-aware. And what I've found in my life is that when I'm not self-aware of who I am, you know what it does? It stifles my generosity. Because I think that I've done this to accumulate whatever I have. That I think that I have what I have because of something in and of myself. But David was so extremely self-aware of who he was because he says to himself, God, I understand this. Who am I? Like that I could even give back to you what's already yours. Do you remember when your kids were 
little. Some of you have little kids right now, and you remember before they earned any money and you would have a birthday party for one of your siblings, or it's Mother's Day, or it's Father's Day, and you remember moms and dads, what you would do? Like you would actually take out your wallet for whatever it was, and you would give your kids some money so that they could buy something for their brother, for their sister, for their mom, for their dad, right? But they felt so amazing, right? Like, look, aren't you glad what I just bought you? right? You ever experienced that? Birthday parties, whatever it is. Like, you know you gave the money, but they're acting so big and bad because they think that they've sacrificially given to get their sister or brother that toy that they want to play with, right? And how silly it is, but what are you doing? You're teaching them, hey, like I want to teach you to be generous by spending my money, But you know what I think is so amazing is that David literally is saying that in these two verses. That God, you're so great and you're so generous and you're so good and what we're giving to you in this moment is yours. It's not even ours. It's not even ours. But you give us the privilege to go along with you to do your saving work, even though there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can contribute whatsoever to make what you're doing better, but you still give us the opportunity because you're good to be a part of what you are doing. And David's response is simply gratefulness. You see that in verse 13, he says, and now we thank you, our, our God, and praise your glorious name. I said already, but I want to say it again. This is a moment to remember right here today. It's a moment to remember because we have the opportunity for our generosity in this moment to be extended to acquire this facility that we sit in right now. And it really is very similar, though different context, many thousand years ago, But do you know that the people of Israel were in a set-up and tear-down scenario for over 400 years? (laughs) Like, we got 14 years. That's definitely long enough. But for four, over 400 years, set up the tabernacle, take down the tabernacle. Set up the tabernacle, take down the tabernacle. And David is so pumped when he stands in front of the people of Israel and he's like, this is our moment that we have the opportunity to give to something that's gonna be a city on a hill, that's gonna be a beacon, that's gonna be a permanent presence that declares how good our God is and declares that salvation is found in him. And it's the same thing that's true for us today. Because what is our mission? Our mission is that we exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that's founded in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And in our church, if you're new with us, what you need to understand is that we really see three commitments for how that mission plays out. Here's the first one. Here's why we're giving to this facility. Because we have a commitment to discipleship. That doesn't mean that discipleship has, can only happen in a permanent facility, but we are committed to discipleship because we believe that the greatest way that we can care for every man, woman, and child that comes in these doors is to disciple them to love Jesus more, to walk faithfully with him, to know how to read their Bible, for children to be hurt, to, to share the gospel, for our teenagers to be equipped so that they can take what they know and take it, whether it's through across the state, this nation, or this world, that we're in this area 
area, there's four colleges right around us that we believe that the greatest way that we can care for the people that come in this room is to provide opportunities and environments to where discipleship can happen in a greater way. You know how difficult that's been in meeting in a building, in a, in a school. Every room you want to meet in, you got to spend more money. Well, what are we going to do with kids and all those different things? And praise God that God's provided us with a place through your generosity, through our generosity, that we can be committed to discipleship in a greater way. Listen to me. I see empty chairs in this place. And I believe that there's going to be people, there's people right now that you know that you've been praying for that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've been praying for that person that they would come back to the Lord. And I believe in this room, in this place, that that is going to happen. And they're going to be sitting in one of those seats next to you. That I believe that God is going to do that. Here's the second commitment that we have. And this is why we're giving for this facility. It's a commitment to community impact. One of the things that attracted us to this facility is it sits dead center in the middle of Winston-Salem. And what I love, there's a passage of scripture that speaks to the importance of our commitment to community impact. Jeremiah 29.7 says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. In this passage, the children are in exile. They're not even home. And God's saying, wait a minute, I have a purpose for where you live. And you need to seek the welfare of the city for where I've placed you. He says, and pray to the Lord on behalf of these people for it in the welfare, you will find welfare. Listen, there's people 500 yards from here. There's people 5,000 yards from here. There's people two miles from here. There's people that drive by this building every single day that are on the Broadway to destruction. And it's because there will be a church in this facility that a gospel, that the gospel will shine bright and people will come to know the Lord Jesus as their savior. As of 2016, there's a little over 242,000 people in Winston-Salem. Just in the zip codes that surround this place, this is zip code 27106. Just in the zip codes of 27104, 105, and 106, there are 117,500 people. And this may be shocking for some of you, but less than 25% of that population will attend a church today that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a need for us to be in this place. And you know what else I'm looking forward to? Is that by being in this place, this congregation is gonna represent a lot more of what the kingdom of God's gonna look like one day. That's what I'm loving. That there's gonna be racial diversity in this place that we have yet to experience. I love that and that ought to excite you. That we're gonna have opportunities to meet the physical needs of this community in a greater way by where we are right now. And the things that we've already done that we praise God for, they will only multiply by us having a permanent facility. Why do we need a building? Because we're committed to discipleship, to community impact. And here's the third thing, to church planting. That's who we've always been all 14 years. That's who we've been. That's what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us to do, to go and to make disciples of all nations. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon this rock, 
upon that statement that I am the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Upon me, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to me, the church is the means to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth and we're gonna be about church planting and we're gonna continue to do that. You know what I love? Last year we had a part of, being a part of planting four churches meeting in a school and countless other churches over the 14 years. And to be able to now to have a place that church planters can come all over the East Coast and be trained by being a part of Vertical Church Network and to be able to be a place that is a launching pad for so many more people that feel called to plant churches all over this state, this nation, and this globe. I'm telling you, this is a memorable moment. It's a memorable moment. And we need to approach this moment with an attitude of generosity because we understand this morning, God, you are great. God, you are generous. And God, you are good. 